Welcome to episode six of Behind Golf with our special guest, Lester Barnes. When you say special... Very spe- you've been you've been a special boy all your life, haven't you? Mummy's, mummy's often described as special. Mummy's little soldier, you are. Well, Bernie, today I wanted to get I wanted to get the, allow the people to be able to see behind Lester Lester Barnes behind the name Bernie. Let's find out. Let's go a little. Let's go a little deep today, should we? Let's go because obviously your life has uh, revolved around sport in a massive way, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Yeah. Um, whole life it's my it's my passion and my love in life is sport football i would say is probably out of everything you do yeah. and i know uh, obviously golf's a big part of your life but football is probably i would say arguably even bigger than golf yeah i mean that was that's my first introduction really into sport was through football and if i'm honest until the last couple of years i'd drifted away from golf and gone more back into football and I would if I had a choice of playing golf or football I would choose to play football but in the last couple of years I've started maybe age reasons but I've started to prioritize golf now over football and I mean I'm thinking back to I think I was playing I, I certainly went for tri- like was there even trials back in the day? But like for the Brixham Grasshoppers, yeah, I think I, I think the trials were. Why don't you come along and have a little bit of a, a session with us on the on the training field and let's see how good that left foot really is, Dan. <laughs> and it never and, and it never made you, it? it never made the cut because I was so focused on my rugby at that time that I just. Football to me was just a not really that bothered, but for you that was my. I, I yeah. actually think I know we met each other a long, long time ago back in cricket days. Yeah, and we'll come on to cricket, but bricks and grasshoppers is when I definitely remember watching you play football yeah. or being involved in a training session with you. Yeah, no, that's that's where I started playing. Um, just as a local local club, it, it produced a few decent players over the years, and it actually in the history produced a couple of professional footballers that came through sort of before they had academies I guess but the Bricks and Grasshoppers team and um, yeah I was I, I really got into football mainly because of sort of my my dad and his um, contacts really he knew quite a lot of people around the football industry he'd been brought up in London where football was you know the main main sport and almost like a religion and he'd been around because he'd been famous himself he was access and was friendly with quite a lot of the West Ham footballers. So when I first started playing football, my dad was friends with Harry Redknapp and I got access to go and, you know, go and watch West Ham. I sat on the bench and, and watched West Ham and a couple of friendlies. I've been in the change rooms, I met players. Um, and he knew lots of people. Peter Shilton he was, he was quite friendly with because he had horses with my godfather. So he was the Plymouth manager in the early 90s. So he used to go down Plymouth every week and watch them. And I got into it that way, really. It was, it was more... Because I was getting access to more behind the scenes and, and getting to see the real sort of the real what football was really like, it, it really sort of um, became my passion. I'm just going to take you back a bit here because obviously you mentioned your dad. Yeah. Talk about how, how famous he was. Just just give me a little bit of a rundown for everybody, a bit of back background on exactly who who was your dad. Yeah. Um, so my dad was. Um, well, he, he was christened George, but everyone knew him as Chester. Um, Chester Barnes, he was named, uh, so like it was a nickname Chester, but it became his name in the end. Um, and he basically played table tennis, and he was the youngest, he was the youngest ever, I think he still is, the youngest ever British table tennis champion at 15. Um, and he was five times British table tennis champion. And he was basically a table tennis player, so yeah. like a really, but quite famous. I mean, you don't really hear much about table tennis nowadays. But I mean, in the in the sixties and seventies, well, sixties was his prime. He was quite well known, quite famous. Um, I think they described him as the George Best of table tennis. Which um, was he a drinker? Uh, my dad never really a drinker, but he did go out quite a lot. And um, he was he a was social a, animal. Wasn't yeah, he? he was quite a flamboyant character. I'd say you know he had. He drove a like a E-type Jag, which we've seen the pictures of, and he appeared. He sort of, I think he sort of took table tennis or helped take table tennis to another level. And he was quite outspoken. He was, 
quite a lot of the national newspapers for various things. Um, so yeah, he was well known on a on a national scale, really. And and did he actually play by the rules when it came to the table tennis um, associations and things like that? No, I, <clears> my understanding was that he yeah. he, he certainly. Um, if there was a rule to be broken, as in, not necessarily from the playing the game. Yeah, he used to get banned all just, the time. Yeah, for, um, for, for silly things? Yeah, or? he was quite outspoken. He gave his, gave his opinion, um, which I inherited a little bit of that, although I probably wouldn't be quite as um, confrontational or as extreme as what he has been in the past. But yeah, he would just say what he felt. Um, he kept getting banned. He so he didn't tow the times. line. He didn't tow the oh, line no, with no. the table tennis no, associations, should we say? I mean, table tennis in the in the sixties was what golf was like in the nineties. It was very much, um, you know, you, for me, you go and play golf. So play county golf. You'd only get the county colours and the county badges and all that sort of stuff and all the freebies if you played South West Week. So I had two years of playing county golf, playing in the Channel League. Um, probably played. 14, 15 times. I had to borrow T-shirts and polo shirts off you and your brother. When I got in the teams, they wouldn't give me one until I played South West Weeks, which I never did. But you'd, you'd go somewhere and you'd have the um, secretary or people on the committee would be walking around in their brand new blazers with a logo on. They'd have the jumpers, brand new jumpers and stuff. But yeah, I was a player in the team and wouldn't get given that. No. And that was similar to what table tennis was in... In the 60s, it was quite clicky, which golf was. Yeah. Um, if your face fitted, you were in. And it was, hard, it was hard to get into things, but once you got into things, it was hard to get out of them, unless you did something quite controversial. He couldn't get break it through into China, if I remember. Do you remember these stories? He, he used to tell me a little bit about the fact that they weren't, you know, you couldn't just go in and play table tennis in China back then. No, it was... Um, uh, so he didn't have, it? yeah, he didn't have the opportunities to take on some of the... The, what what would so, I suppose be world champions? Yeah, you know. so he I mean he got to the he got to I think he got to number four in the world. Right, that was his best, um, and I think he got to the semi final of the world. But he reckons he would have. I mean, you can always say he would have done this. He would. He reckons he would have. He thinks he could have won it twice, um, but he was banned both times and he wasn't allowed to represent England or Great Britain. Um, but he did beat in the year he was banned. He beat. They actually went to China. He beat the world champion in China in front of like twenty five thousand people. Wow! So that was that's when I asked him what his greatest achievement was. He was said going over there and playing in front of twenty five thousand people and beating them. Um, it's massive, isn't it? Like yeah, you know. I, I mean, you and I played table it's tennis. It's a national sport though over there as well. So I mean, to have like an, a um, a white Englishman come over and beat your best player in the world would have probably been like. <laughs> Yeah, something a bit special. So that was what he said. Yeah, I, I mean, like I say, we, we we played table tennis a little bit as kids. I certainly mm. loved it because I was a tennis player, and therefore yeah. you played table tennis when it was raining outside, and you can play tennis. So, uh, you know, but the sport was never at our age in our era. The sport was never that big, no. um, and and hasn't continued. You know, I, I always I mean, think of things like. Um, like table tennis is almost a, a bit of a lost sport. Squash is heading down that road as maybe it's a lost a pub sport. game now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's like a game you of, game with your mates and, and yeah. you just go have a little knock around. I mean, I couldn't even name any of the players that play any in, not only in England, but I couldn't name any of the world chat. Like, couldn't name any of the the top players in the sport. Could you? No, not and at I don't, all. You don't see it on tre- on TV, do you? you? Don't see even on like the BBC or the, I mean, it used to be on BBC, didn't it? But I mean, you don't even see that sort of sport anywhere do you I mean I can't I know Barry Hearn tried doing um, that paddle board which was a former table tennis right. paddle board or paddle something paddle yeah. um, mainly because he used to book out um, this one of the venues to, for the darts and he had nothing to do for a couple of weeks but that never really took off either did it um, but yeah it's not it's not generally in the public eye anymore table tennis when he finished up with his table tennis, though, as in competing, he then got on getting got into the camps, and then that's obviously where he played a bit of or met. He certainly met your mum, but he also met um, Ray Reardon. Travelled a little bit with Ray as the world snooker yeah. champion. I mean, as as a table tennis player, it was it, in this country wasn't professional, so to earn a living, he had to go over to sort of Sweden and some of the Scandinavian countries and play in their team. I think Holland as well. He went over and played quite a lot of the football clubs um, in Holland have like extra sports attached so he played um for one of the sort of, i think he played for um 
can't remember the name. Well, I played for one anyway, but he used to go over there and play in the leagues and make a bit of money that way. And the other way he was playing on the for the Pontins and playing on the camp. So my early sort of childhood was driving around on the camps with Dad playing exhibitions with Trevor Taylor, who's um, still like one of my mum's friends and. His wife Karen um, is like my mom, one of my mum's best friends, and we, I saw him actually yesterday. Came around the house for a coffee. Yeah, they used to travel around, and I, my part of my growing up was mum was compare, so she used to do the compare and the scoring. I used to travel around and watch dad and Trevor play in exhibitions all around camps, all around the southwest, and a little bit further. So yeah, it was good. Fantastic life getting going, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then back to football. <clears throat> and obviously your old man was, was rubbing shoulders with some of the, the best talented sports people in, in the country, wasn't he? Because ultimately yeah. he was one of those, but in his chosen sport. And that's where he came across the likes of Harry Redknapp. And, yeah, Alan, and and Alan like Ball was his good friend as well. So he yeah. was Exit City, City manager for a while. So he used to go Exit City and watch them. He was a nice nice guy, like Eminem Hughes as well. And then we met more through horse racing because Dad got involved in horse racing from there. And quite a lot of the footballers used to have horses or would be interested in betting. I mean, you can't... I mean, they're sort of not meant to be betting on certain things now, are they? They're not allowed to bet on their own football and stuff. But yeah. um, you had, like, Ian Rush, Robbie Fowler, Steve McManaman, um, quite a few of them all bought horses and were in syndicates and used to go horse racing. So I was lucky enough to meet more um, sports people from, you know, lots of different sports, really. Fantastic, yeah. And, and tell me about, like, going back to your football, why... Why didn't why wasn't football an option for you? And and more so like <clears throat> I was thinking if you're not inside a big city, yeah. like football is not really a, a career option for a lot of kids. Like why down here do we not see more players getting yeah. out there? I mean I'll be honest with you, I wasn't good enough. That was when okay. I said and done. Um Do you put that down to the fact that because I always remember you telling me about like my son you know, coming up, Bobby, and you're like if he stays in defence, he's got more yeah, of a chance more to chance. make it. So yeah, were you one of those players that like to be up front midfield sort of player? or you? I think everybody does. I, I just feel like when I was younger, I was I was, I was, was small. I mean, I'm not overly big now for my height and I wasn't um, particularly strong. So when you went up for trials, you went up to like Villa. Um, I went to West Ham as well. And the lads were just so much more developed and built. And you'd, I'd go up there for a week and I'd just get kicked around. Yeah. And I ended up, the last season I played, or I thought I was half decent, I was about, I think I was under 12s, under 13s, and I basically broke my arm. I just kept getting injured every time I played. It became more physical, and I was just kicked off the park, and I was just like, and I was like, why am I doing this? I'm going to literally have no body left, so I'm not careful. And every trial I went to, it, I was told I was too small, or I wasn't strong enough, and and that, which... In those days, it was more of a physical game. Nowadays, you can't even you, well, you can't tackle. The, the art of tackling's gone, um, and I'd have probably have had more chance if I was born if I was twenty years younger. But um, yeah. But going back to what you said about locally, it's we've not really. I mean, we haven't the best club we've got down here is um, obviously Plymouth have now have uh, gone back up to the championship level, so they're like second um, sort of second tier, aren't they? But um, yeah. before. Before that, we just for the last fifteen years we had no team, no decent team. I know um, you'd have to do a lot of travelling. I mean, Exeter, you got Exeter, Torquay, and Plymouth. Really, yeah, I mean, the three Pl- that we've got down here. Torquay are now regional, so they're, yeah. they're conference south. So they're regional. Exeter are, are down in one of the bottom two divisions, and Plymouth have made a bit of resurgence, which is good. But I remember like one of a couple of our friends, um, Adam Drake, probably won't be listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> will, Maybe. Yeah, um, they used to travel up to Watford but I mean there was some commitment you'd have to you know they'd go up for the weekend every weekend him and I think Mike Booth was the other one mm-hmm. um, and they would travel up every weekend to Watford and stay up there all weekend and travel back so you'd, you're making quite a big sacrifice at those in those days to try and become a professional footballer um, yeah whereas if you were living around London you'd probably better train a couple of nights a week and it's not so big a commitment and then moving on we then met really playing cricket yeah. again I say playing cricket for me very loosely <laughs> because again it wasn't my chosen sport uh, I enjoyed it but you got into it didn't you yeah I mean it was good for me because he's played football in the in the winter cricket in the summer so yeah. that was my two it's kind of the north. crossover yeah, yeah which was good um, it was it was good in the fact that Brixham weren't particularly strong as a side quite a small town compared to sort of 
your talkies and Newton Abbots and stuff. So it was quite easy to progress quickly and not only play, like I started playing under 11s, but I could get, when I was 11, I was getting in the under 13s and under 15s team because there wasn't the competition. Um, I think I played like under 17s at like 12 or 13 as well. So it was quite good. And um, I did enjoy cricket. Although once you got into the adult stuff, I only ever played one adults game and it was just, it wasn't for me. Not for you. That it was just too, just too long, and it was um, it was just too slow. There wasn't enough going on for me, and I thought I went down and played at, um, down in Plymouth, and I think I was batting six, and we Brixham batted first, and um, they scored whatever they scored in like fifty or sixty overs, I think it was, but I didn't get to bat, so there wasn't enough wickets that fell. And then I was stuck on the boundary for the, for the um, when their innings. And I didn't bowl, so I literally went down there and did sat on the side like I did nothing. And yeah. I was like, they were like, same again next week. And I was like, no, not for no, me. I think I'll do something else. Yeah. So yeah. And that's that something that. else. Was that something else? Golf? Is yeah, that where so, you then moved into that? So yeah, my dad um, got into golf. My dad had heart attacks um, in 1993 September. So I was 13, and he had put on quite a lot of weight, and they told him to do more exercise. Um, so he changed his lifestyle totally, and. He used to play golf in the 60s and 70s here at Cherston, um, and he just decided he was going to start playing golf. So I wanted to spend more time with him. So I just used to hang around, come at the golf club with him. Not here, because it was so difficult to get into. Yeah. There was a waiting list, I think, six, seven years. So we used to go down Alfred Lee, which is still down there. I would go and have a lesson off the assistant in the morning, and then I'd walk out for the back nine, and I used to have a couple of clubs in my dad's bag, and I'd hit them around. And I just got into it that way, really. But I was never that keen on golf, I'll be honest, to start with. It was just something to something to do on a on a weekend when I wasn't doing anything. And it was also nice to spend time with my dad. Yeah. I mean, we were very lucky because we, um, we got into golf, I would say, at a pretty similar time. Yeah. But there was a number of us that got into golf at the same time. And it was almost like a wave, wasn't it? You, we just helped each other along and then bumped each other along. And then it was more... And, and I'm not saying that you helped each other as in you went out and showed each other different shots. At that time, helping each other along would have been one playing well and mm. the other person wanting to make sure that they beat them the next time. And it just yeah, kind of... It was more of a competitive helping. It was friendly but competitive. And it, it yeah, I just... I, I sort of got the... I got the bug at like 14, 15 when I saw like Cherson didn't really produce I've got to be careful what I say it didn't really produce that many great golfers and when they did there was it was sporadic wasn't it it wasn't like yeah. a, a conveyor belt of like every year a new there was a new star or a new county player and it was quite sporadic so when, when I first started your brother was sort of the best player in the section but he was only like I think he was still double figures in handicap he wasn't it wasn't the depth, like the depth and the strength and depth, which we which we would see when we were playing, but it just spurred me on. I saw you you were slightly ahead of me in terms of golf development, so you were winning and playing county before I got involved, and it just spurred me on. I was like, I want to, I want a piece of that. I I think I could do that, and um, yeah, it just it was good, wasn't it? We, I mean, the last year we were juniors. I think the highest handicapper in the six man team was about five or six handicap. And we had a really, really good team. We we won, we played in some national stuff. And um, if we'd only started a few years earlier, all of us would have. I think the last couple of years would have had a really good um, couple of decent couple wins. of decent wins on big national events. I'm trying to think, were you captain of the juniors, and then I was captain after you? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, it was Drakey, me, you, and then I think Paul Joseph. Paul Joseph. Paul. It was Paul, my brother Paul. Yeah. Adam. You, me, and then yeah. Paul Joseph, yeah. I mean, that. I think, I'll get this right, but that team or part of us, there was something like nine or ten of us all turned pro, didn't we? And yeah. I think probably eight, seven or eight of us all played county. Yeah. And I remember um, the last few county matches I played, me, you, and your brother in the ten-man team. So we had like a third of them from one golf club, which was quite impressive, really, wasn't it? It was very good. I remember playing, uh, I mean, there's a great story, isn't there, about... Me and you played, we had the Junior Captain's Cup semi-final, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, in the morning. Yeah. And then in the afternoon, we then went out and played in the semi-final of the club match play. Yeah. And I think, I think at the time, maybe we were both off about, I want to say like four or five handicap, maybe, yeah. I think. We must have been. 
I had just got this biggest big Bertha driver. It was ridiculous. It like revolution. It was, the, it was like, I don't care what anyone says, it was the biggest revolution in your golf game ever. Like I literally, after I saw you hit it a couple of times, I like literally, I couldn't have got home quick enough to say, dad, you need to buy me this driver. And he's like, oh, I don't, you know, it, it's only a golf club. It's a t- giving it all that. And I was like, honestly, Dan's hitting it like 25, 30 yards longer. No, I don't believe you. And then the next time we played, me, you and my dad, Dad came home about two days later, and we both had the driver. <laughs> and it, well, I mean, it, that, it was so in those good, in it? those days, you know, you got to remember that driver was a five hundred pound driver. Yeah, this is back in the mid. I want to say mid to late, like let's say ninety seven, ninety eight, maybe yeah. ninety. I don't know, but it would it would have been ninety seven, ninety eight when uh, I was about fifteen. Because you had the great big bird. So I went straight from the war. I had a warbird, which was probably, what, 200 quid for a driver? Um, small headed. And they went to a great big bertha, but I jumped straight from the warbird into the biggest big bertha. And it was. Oh, that would have been oh, massive. Oh, it was massive. Because like, I did games. have a great big bertha. But like, oh. I'm, I'm not sure if I had, like, maybe I got a second hand one. Because I remember Paul having the great big bertha. And then, yeah. and then I trumped him with the biggest big bertha. And then. Yeah, it just it, it kind so of snowballed that, that from there, was and, so good. and then before you know, everyone's everyone's yeah. gone. But I remember that round of golf, and and um, we went out in the morning, and I don't remember the I don't remember playing, but I remember no. the result. So I remember that I went out and we, I beat you in the morning, right. which was for the junior to get into the junior semi-finals. And did, then, you, did you ever win that? Because I never won that one. One of the ones that uh, didn't win, I never won it. Can't remember. No, maybe. I don't know. Um, but then in the afternoon, we went out in the afternoon, we came in, we had a bit of lunch. Yeah. And, uh, and then we went out again. And it was a beautiful day. It was a stunning yeah. day. I mean, it was a lovely summer's day. And I remember being on the putting green with you thinking, well, just, nobody's gone out for it. it wasn't, there was no tea times back in those no. days, was there? So we were going out in the afternoon. There was nobody teed off for what must have been a good hour yeah. that I could remember. <clears throat> and off we went. Off we went. Off now, off. I think we're now off the blue tees. I think we were off the white tees in the morning, blue yeah. tees in the afternoon, because one was the juniors, one was the seniors at the back. So off we went, blue tees, bang. Get down there, get down, play the first, play the second. And we tee off the third, and we and I thump my ball over the top of the pole, which is a blind tee shot, over the top of the pole. And bearing in mind, you can see what's going on on the second green, can't yeah. you? Over it goes, a little lovely, lovely little draw. Yeah. I remember, I mean, it's the last time I've hit such a high draw of <laughs> such beauty. And you did used to hit the ball in the air, didn't you? Yeah, you used to get it up yeah. in the air, yeah. Um, battle scars, Bernie, that's yeah. what gets the ball down. Um, anyway, this chap appears from nowhere, didn't he? Yeah. Appears from nowhere, waving his arms and this, that and the other. And I thought, oh, Bernie, you better wait a minute. Give him, give him a second. And uh, then, he, then he gave the command of, like, what I felt was a command of, come on through. <laughs> Come on over. Sadly, it wasn't. Come on through. And you, I said to you, Bernie, come on, let's go. And you're like, you sure? I was like, yeah, yeah, he's waving us through. Go on. And you thumped this ball straight over the top of him. Uh, two of the best drives we've hit, still to this day, yeah. I say. And uh, we get down there. Anyway, he's, he's shaking his fist a little bit at us, isn't yeah. he? He's got my ball in his hand. So clearly they were down... They were down. They there. must have been looking for a ball on the right hand side, and then he's come back yeah. out to hit a provisional or something. But there was no one in front of us; like yeah. he just appeared from nowhere, didn't he? Anyway, we can't. We tr- we we tried our hardest to calm the situation down. Of which he well, was having none of it. Was he? He was having none of it, and <laughs> and um, and I and I will cut the story off there. But what I will will say is that when we got in, unfortunately, we did get a letter to say that we had been. Asked to go up to the, you'd won the it, match. It was it was in those days though where you were, you were always on your best behaviour at the golf club. And as juniors weren't, or people of our age weren't exactly um, welcomed at a golf club or any golf club. And so you didn't really say anything to anybody as such. You kept you on your best behaviour. I do feel nowadays if that I'd have had that same situation, he would have got a different reaction. <laughs> Well, you, you were just... He young. was very we, aggressive, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, but, but I think you just you were of that age and, um, you know, you mm. just couldn't do stuff like that back then. You just couldn't get away with it. I, 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 you, couldn't get, like, you couldn't get away with it in school, could you, no, in no. those days? Like, it wasn't a lot... Like, I see some of the stuff that goes on in schools nowadays yeah. and I think, wow, what, like, really? But anyway, so we were um, politely asked to then attend a... Um, For attempted murder. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> manslaughter. Manslaughter. <laughs> Was it murder or manslaughter? Um, Te- yeah, uh, te- uh, please please attend a meeting of which um, 
a disciplinary meeting of um, and what we went up to this meeting and yeah we were accused of yeah. a potential attempted we aimed at him an attempted murder and then and and the end result was that that all got dealt with and um, your dad my dad were there uh, to represent the junior organizer was there to represent there was a lot of people in that represent room at that time the funniest thing was I think it was over the week after or two weeks after the two people that were involved in the incident with us put that we were, it was a better ball comp we put our names down and they put their names down with us we were like no just cross it because you had to write it on the board and they, they just yeah, crossed them out no yeah, that not, is not happening we're not quite ready for that yet we need to we need to move on a little bit before we start playing golf with you Anyway, it turns out they're both very nice gentlemen and, um, yeah, we actually uh, became friendly with them over the years and there was a few, probably a few apologies, I would imagine. But anyway, um, but at what stage, Bernie, do you think that golf was to become your career? Like, at what stage did you think, do you know what, I want to I do this, I want to make this my career? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I think I mentioned it earlier, it was when I realised I wasn't going to, make a living playing football so um i was sort of 14 so probably around right about the 14 um age and i got i was happy all the time and i got i got really into it and i almost got addicted to it and um i basically got a job in the pro shop okay so at, i sort of realized yeah i sort yeah. of realized i potentially wasn't going to be a player maybe have a decent career as a playing locally and maybe west region but i was never gonna probably probably knew in my heart of hearts i was never gonna get much beyond beyond that and i certainly oh. wasn't going to be playing european tour or whatever it was at the time at what age was that maybe 14 really 14. really yeah, yeah, yeah wow i didn't I th- know that i think mainly i mean because of my dad was so good at sport and the dedication i saw i saw what he used to do even even in those days when he was not playing anything really that competitively, but even his golf he used to practice more than I would, and I was like, and he was like, well, if you're not putting in the amount of effort I'm putting in, and I'm not even trying to be good at it, yeah, and okay. I was like, I just didn't have that. I just don't think I, I've sort of had more of my mum's mentality. So you don't feel like you had your dad's drive? No, no. I think I got my mum's drive, and okay, which was, yeah, which was difficult. But I mean, I got a job in the pro shop to see whether. That was the life that I wanted, or the career that I wanted to to, to go down. And that was um, I used to do Saturday mornings and then play in the afternoons and sort of progress from there. Really, working in the shop and yeah, I did enjoy it. I still do enjoy shop work now occasionally when I do it. But and then uh, what age? I can't, I'm just trying to wrap my yeah. brain. What age did you turn pro? Because you so, did you did your A levels and things. Yeah, so I so I got to sort of 16. I'd done GCSEs and I did better at school than. What I think, my, even though my mum was a school teacher, she didn't ever taught me, but I did better at school than, I think, one, the school thought I was going to do, and secondly, my parents thought I was going to do. So I came out with, like, 10 GCSEs A to C, which I wasn't predicted to get that. Um, and I just was like, I want to turn pro, I want to do my training. And they were like, no, no, you need to do some further education to give you something to fall back on. So I went to Chest, I went from Brixham Community College to Cherston Grammar, and the reason I went to Cherston Grammar was because the golf club was directly Next opposite, door. and I knew you got free periods. I also, my dad went to work, uh, I was still working with the horses, and he used to leave for work at like half six in the morning, so he would drop me off at the golf club so I could practice before I went into school at nine o'clock, had a locker and everything, and then when I finished school at three o'clock, I'd walk over here and either play a few holes or do some chipping and putting, hit a few balls, and then he would drive past when he was working at like, five, six, seven o'clock at night and he'd pick me up. So I went there mainly so I could practice. Right. But so, you did. I mean, you talk about you didn't have the drive. I, I you know, you, when you want to get your mind to something, you do get your head down and grind out, grind out the practice. You loved, the one thing yeah. you did like enjoy is chipping and putting. As, yeah, as which a is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I feel like, you've, um, like you probably wore yeah, out, wore out was, a lot of your good shots on the chipping and putting ring. Yeah, I mean, I short game was pretty hot one time when oh, I was younger I mean the I old didn't Rossi hit the putter you had I remember I that I never hit the ball that great and then I used to chip and putt really well but um, yeah. yeah it's funny isn't it how things change and then you decided to so you decided to turn pro yeah so um, and then you started training here at Churston under Neil Neil Holman yeah Neil Holman. so Neil was who I worked for when I was 14 um, unfortunately so this was sort of 2000 I think it was about 2001 2002 I turned pro um, which I'd have been 21, 22, around about that. 
area and I was um I turned broke because I was waiting to get in the southwest counties week and I thought I'd had three really good chances of getting in and wasn't picked and in the end I thought what am I waiting for I'm not my face probably didn't fit or I don't know I just felt there was time for me then just to turn pro so I and I had the opportunity because I was working in the shop here so I turned pro yeah talk about your face not fitting yeah so I I do remember um, I remember having a conversation with you when you were trying to get yourself. I was already playing county, Paul was already playing in the county, and you weren't in the county, and it was... You were equally as good as us at that particular time. You'd done a lot of practice. You were probably at Churston, I think, at the time. Yeah. And I remember having the conversation with you to say, you need to step out of your what I felt was your comfort zone. Yeah. I said, you need to start playing away from Churston so yeah. you I mean you would clean up around here like, yeah. all the time you were winning pretty much all, all the time your name's all, all over the boards mm. downstairs at that age but you needed to get away you needed to yeah. start competing in events outside of Churston and that's what happened and you you went you then moved on you started you did really well I think in the Devon Salva Devon Youth Championship I think you yeah. won both of those did that help so yeah I mean um your advice was really good to be fair um and I did, I did start playing and stuff. I also, so that was um, my two best things was the Salva and the Youth Championship. But I also, um, we had like a North, South, East, West. So like Dev, Devon was split into the four areas and then you got picked for like to represent, I think we were, we were South, we were South, so South Devon. So we represented South Devon. And they had like a, it was like a, a tournament where you played individual, yeah. um, 36 holes. It was a really good tournament, I don't have it now to be fair. And then obviously the 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 area wins, and I I literally won the um in one of the years before the same year that I actually won the Salva and the Youth, I won the stroke play of that event, which was at Thornton. So that was my first sort of breakthrough, and then that gave me the confidence to then go and win a couple of other events. And that year I was like I think I was either second or third on the Order of Merit, and still didn't get picked for Southwest Week. Um, don't get me wrong, um. Devon had a really strong squad. I mean, you had you had you, you and your brother. You had Kev Harper, yeah, um, who's been on the channel. James Ruth was just coming through, I think, but he was about thirteen, fourteen, but really talented. Um, you had Ross Whitelock, um, Scott Davy, and then you had a few of the older ones that were still sort of hanging in in there, like yeah. Mark Evans, who's the manager at Royal North Devon. Yeah, um, I think Graham was still sort of Graham Ruth. Yeah, was, yeah, was um, chopping around. Yeah. hanging on the team so it was difficult to get into but I just felt that I was like because of that year that was the year I turned pro I just felt like if I don't if they weren't going to pick me this year then they were never going to pick me right and that's, that's why I turned that, pro that's the that main, was, that the was my main move to turn pro really and um, try and progress the career in professional golf now you said early on in your in when you were around sort of fourteen fifteen that you decided at that point that you were never really you wanted to be a pro but you were never going to play. Yeah. But you did play a little bit. You, yeah. You entered a few pro ams sort of locally. Yeah. You got some of the local members to play with you in pro ams. Question that I, I'm not sure I've ever asked you this one, but did you ever feel any extra added pressure from playing? Because of the success that you possibly your dad had had in his chosen sport, and now you're a now you're a pro in golf, did you ever feel that you maybe put more pressure on yourself than? Because mm. I know he wouldn't have probably put any pressure no. on you, but do you feel like you personally felt I need to achieve? I you know, I'm I'm son of Ches, I need to actually perform well. I wouldn't have said there was any extra pressure. It was. Um that's the main reason they didn't encourage me to play table tennis because he said I'd get compared to him all the time and um, and there was no money in it so so I didn't really ever sort of go down that route but it was it was more um, rather than people putting pressure on me it was more pressure from within yeah so it was more of a case of because he'd achieved so much and I was comparing myself to my dad that's what you do isn't it you, your dad's your, your biggest greatest hero isn't he mm. always will be um, and because I wasn't achieving or getting to the levels that he'd got to in his sport, I did feel a, at times a bit of a failure, or I'd, and that that was quite hard to actually be in that position of feeling like I've not made anything or done anything with my life. And um, even in, in in today's today and how where I am in my life now, I still feel that I've 
got close to making it at certain things but not quite made it and um yeah i'm using that now as motivation and it took me a while to get to the position where i felt that i want i was motivated enough to try and make something of my life like don't get me wrong my life's been really good i wouldn't change much of it i've been very lucky but with the whole youtube journey and doing my own channel and stuff and like that this year i've been so motivated to produce videos, make them as good as I can make them. They're not perfect, I know that. But, like, I've stuck to it and I'm pushing on and things are progressing. So, yeah, so going back to the original question, it was more pressure from Vim rather than from thinking, he, you know, so you, me. You it, wasn't, it wasn't anyone putting pressure on me. It was myself wanting to, to be as good or as cheap as much as I could. And once you set yourself, I think an important lesson in life is to set yourself realistic targets. Okay. And if you don't quite make those targets, then not to see it as a failure, but just to use it as motivation for next year to push on. And that's how I've tried to sort of live my life recently. And he, you and him never had conversations about that um, with regards to the build-up that you had put on yourself. Because the reason I asked the no, question I mean, is because I remember when you were going to pro-ams and yeah. you were, I remember you saying things like that you would struggle to sleep the night before yeah. and you'd build up so much inside that you would, you, you would feel so much pressure of wanting to do well, not just, not just for yourself, but for the team that have entered with you. That was, that, I'd say that was more of it. My mentality was that these people had play, paid quite a lot of money to play in a pro-am and if you don't play well, you feel like you're letting them down, not, not letting myself down or, but letting them down, they paid the money, you know, you it's it's a tricky one because I did enjoy pro-ams I enjoyed meeting I always, I've always enjoyed meeting and talking to people and when I played in the pro-ams I tried to give my team whether I knew them or not the best experience and the best day they could have and almost to the detriment of my own game but I'd make sure you know, I'd provide them with some balls I would, if, I'd, if they wanted help with anything I'd give them advice I'd always stay behind after for the meal uh, and I'd probably stay in another 45 minutes to an hour after the meal and a lot of the pros just get in the car and do one but I was always trying to give people a really good experience and I don't regret any of that and I feel like quite a lot of times I'd get inv even if I played awful I would get invited back the next year by the same team and I would play in like the Padbrook Park Pro-Am I, I played for like four or five years with the same team every year never won anything I mean yeah but they enjoyed you know they enjoyed I feel like they enjoyed being around me and they, they look forward to it every year and I and that was more my sort of motivation for that but yeah I found it difficult because people are paying a lot of money and you feel like you're letting them down and then you think what's the point I'm not going to win any money or they're not going to you know they're not going to win anything and that was difficult and did it ever click with you in the fact of like so it clicked with me and I think as any pro and I wouldn't say any pro I would say majority of pros would PGA pros let's say there is always going to be a little bit of self-doubt in there and and you're all, and they 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 look at the amateurs that join them to play in a pro am and they don't want to let the team down they don't want to make they don't want the amateurs to think that they're not very good at golf all these things these are all things that i yeah. had thoughts about yeah and it kind of hit hit home with me once where i thought to myself exactly the same as what you went through there mm. i know that when i go and play golf with these people that I will give them the best day out, whether that's yeah. whether that's just um, keeping them entertained, sitting behind with them after the round, whatever it is, and keep talking with them and, and, and keep chatting with them and, and, yeah. and giving them a few pointers along the way. That was yeah. always my kind of objective. But And then actually that relaxed my golf a lot more. Yeah, I, I never got to, to that, that stage. That point. But I, I remember a couple of times where um, I've played, I've been sort of last minute, can you play with a short of a pro? Yeah, yeah, so gone there. And... Um, the team have gone, oh, last year we played with, I won't name any names, but Such him. Such so, yeah. Oh, did, I said, oh, did you do any good? Oh, yeah, he, he, won, he won the individual. One individual. He shot five under. I was like, all oh, right, God, you must be really disappointed now, like laughing away. No, no, we'd rather play with you. I'm like, well, why? Oh, well, he played 18 holes and he never said one word to us. Yeah. And he couldn't care less what we were doing. It was just a waste of time us being here. And I, and I was like, oh, it's really sad that that person has played really well and and you know, and had one of a, had a really good day, but yeah, his team have felt really like they didn't enjoy it. Whether they rather watch me knock it round in like four or five over par, but we've had a laugh and we've had a good day. So, but I never really things like that. You, I I never really understood until 
later in life, which is it's too late. Yeah. It's the same with I played um, last Saturday and I played um, combined Stableford event, Jimmy Giddy here. Um, and the guy wouldn't mind me probably mentioning his name. I won't mention his name, but he does watch bits of the channel and stuff. And I didn't have a partner. The lad I was playing with couldn't play, so during the week I didn't have anyone to play with. And the two lads I was playing with got him to play as a, as a pair of me. So I wouldn't have been able to play in it if he hadn't played. And he started off like terribly, like the first six holes. He couldn't get the ball in the air. He was struggling. And on the seventh, he said, I'm so nervous playing golf for you. And I was like, what are you on about? Like, I, if you weren't here now, I couldn't play. I would be at home. It's golf. It doesn't really, it's not my, it's not my living. Like, if we play well, it's a bonus. If we play bad, it doesn't really matter. And maybe if I'd have had that attitude when I was a pro, then maybe I'd have been more successful. Yeah. I believe you would have been. Mm. You then moved from Churston and you went yeah. over to, you actually went over to Torquay as the yeah. assistant pro under Martin, Martin Ruth over there, yeah. um, which I would say probably were your, uh, your happiest days in the pro shop over at, at Torquay. Yeah, I mean, the last the year I was at Churston, Neil had issues with the chairman at the time who obviously didn't want him to be the pro and it was, it was a bit messy. Stressful. Yeah, it was yeah. messy. It was a messy end to it, but it was... For that, that was my sort of first year as I turned pro, um, and it was really difficult because he was. Don't get me wrong, Neil is quite a. Um, he's a difficult character, and okay. I found that later on in life. But he, um, he didn't make he didn't do himself any favors with the way he handled the situation. But it was a difficult situation for him, and he was going for other stuff in his personal life, and he, both of them were at fault. But basically what happened, Neil lost his job. Okay. Um, the club said, the club wanted me to stay on. But at the time I felt that Neil had been badly treated and I found, thought it'd be hard to actually be civil, civil to certain people that worked up here, certain members who had wanted him out. So I made the decision to leave Churston, which I think at the time was the best decision I'd made because... It was when your you're, home club. Yeah, when you're when you're a member of a golf club and then you turn pro, you still get regarded quite often as, oh, that's Leicester. He's, he, you know, you're not you're not given the same respect as you get when you go to a a club where people see you. Oh, that he's a golf professional. Yeah. Whereas you're seeing, oh, he's a little snotty nosed junior, or he's, you know, and I think that was probably at the time didn't feel like it, but I think that was the best decision I'd made was to go and. Over to Torquay and um, yeah, it was totally different totally to different. Cheston and yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the first sort of five six years that I worked there. And what happened? Why did you? Why did the PGA not continue? Why didn't you finish that final year, should we say, or that final exam? Or what? What? Tell me. Tell me a bit more. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a tricky one really because I um, as much as I loved working at Torquay. Um, Martin unfortunately lost his wife, Shirley, who I was really close to during my sort of last year that I was at Torquay. And, um, Martin's a head pro, yeah. Yeah, he was a head pro, he'd lost his wife, and, but she'd been ill for several years before. Um, and he was understandably spending more, he had a young family, so he was spending more time with his family. Um, he wasn't necessarily at the golf club as much as probably what you'd, I'd probably need. And... Um, yeah, I mean, my doing my training was quite low down on his list of priorities, rightly so. And for me, I was well, I was shop man, I was um, head head assistant and shop manager. So when he wasn't there, I was basically running the shop, um, and I ended up doing like fifty, sixty hours in the shop a week. And I was also trying to teach on top of that and try and play a bit. And my studying was pushed to the back while I was trying to still, you know, do everything else and. Probably didn't spend enough time time doing certain aspects of it. I also I struggled under pressure in certain situations and there's one exam that I've really struggled with and that was the, the teaching exam which was, it was strange because Which you was funny because I used lot. to coach a lot and I had yeah. really good results, but it was the whole I don't know, it was the whole situation with the I mean I did my level one and two coaching which I passed easily, but the part of the final exam was you had to do, I think it was a 30 minute lesson for yeah. someone at the public. But the situation you're in, you're in like a driving range. Yeah. So there was like 20 lessons, say, going on at the same time. And you had you had your 
person in the um, in with you. Yeah. But there was a lot of talking, there was a lot of noise, because everyone was shouting, like, everyone was trying to get their voice being tone. And I just, the first time I did it, I literally couldn't, I couldn't focus because everyone was talking. And I was like, the lesson, I just, I lost control of the lesson and failed. Um, apparently, I mean, after you get your debrief, apparently I was close to passing, which I was like, well, that's the worst lesson I've ever done, which was disappointing. <laughs> and then the second time I went to do it, I had... Um, a girl called Hannah, I can't remember her second name, but she was an England international. Right. So it was off like plus three handicap. I think she was like 19, 20. And I was literally, bearing in mind I'd coached juniors, you coached, I hadn't coached any elite players, I'd only coached juniors and people that were out like club members. And so she was on this driving range and she was literally absolutely ripping everything. Yeah. Like it was so good. I was like, but you had to change something. Well, they were like, you've you got to give her a lesson. And the guy that, was assessing my teaching was her coach but she was swinging it at like decent speed her ball flight everything was really good and I was like I don't really like I don't want to change something for the sake of changing it or this is what you need to do so I talked to her through the 30 minutes like asking her about a ball flight literally, literally doing things just to try and get something to think about I can change like if she said oh occasionally I hit one slightly left and I'd be like well Okay, your grip's fractionally strong in your left hand, so at times when you feel like it's going left, let's just weaken your left hand off, for example. Um, she just absolutely nuked it, and I was like, afterwards, I was like, I've not really done anything in this lesson. I've just literally stood there and admired her ball striking. Mm. Um, and he, he said, why did you not notice this about the swing? And I was like, no. But I guess as well at those times, I was teaching with a gas system I had... The gas system, so you could, if I would have been able to use that, I could have slowed her swing down and maybe found something that yeah. maybe she could work on. So um, that was the second time I did it, so I failed second time. And then the third time, I was driving up to Celtic Manor. Um, it moved from the Belfry to Celtic Manor, and I got over the bridge. And as I was, I'd been sort of um, struggling a bit with everything, and just I don't know, I was questioning whether I wanted to do this long term. Well, you were um, having a tough time at Torquay with. Um, the amount of work you were having to put yeah, in. Yeah, the workload was tough, and I just was, I just, I don't know, I just didn't feel, I wasn't at my, I mean, I'm a positive person, but that's probably one of the lowest points of my life. And I just thought, as I was driving over, I hadn't slept for like a couple of weeks, I've been worried about it. Um, I had sought professional help, I'm not afraid to admit that. I'd gone to see someone about some techniques to help with um, the stress and stuff. I just hadn't slept, I didn't feel too good. And as I was driving over the bridge, it was just like one of those moments, you know, where it goes, you mm. click or a light bulb goes off. And I just thought to myself, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? I don't need to do this. Being a golf pro, what, seven, eight years, I've worked in the shop for so long, I don't want to be a golf pro. Wasn't enjoying, wasn't playing at all, which is the reason you, you generally turn pro, isn't it? And I would say if you're going to turn pro, make sure you continue playing, no matter how good you are, continue playing golf. Um... And I got to the end of the bridge and I was like, why, 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 what, am I, what am I doing? I don't want to do this. So I literally came off the next service. They phoned the um, PGA and said, oh, I'm not coming to the exam. And they were like, can I ask why? And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I literally, that was my, um, I just basically quit. Right. But like it had been festering for a while. It wasn't like an instant thing, but it was just that was the turning point. And I drove home, got home, and um, mum and dad were like, oh, how did you get on? Because it was only a half an hour lesson, so... I would have been back more or less the same time anyway, and I was like, I just didn't do it. Um, and they were like, they were fi not fine with it, they were a bit disappointed to start with, and then after I'd explained what I've just explained now, they were like, oh, we totally get it, like, you've got to do what makes you happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the end of, that was the end of my That was PGA, the end of your yeah. PGA. Finished, yeah. Finished on the bridge over, over to over Wales. Wales. Yeah, so every time I go over across that bridge, I always think, oh, this was like a turning point in my life. But, yeah. but one of the loves that you've had, um, and it continues because obviously you don't necessarily need your PGA to do it, but the club repair stuff. I mean, that's yeah. that's a passion of yours in a big way, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've, I was I was lucky that um, Neil was very good at club repairs, still is. Um, but when I went to Torquay, the assistant there was Stuart Disney, and he was he'd been trained by a guy called Peter Ward who was the head professional Timmouth. at Timmouth yeah. um, and he was like a master club fitter and that was what he specialised in and he'd passed quite a lot of knowledge on to Stuart and I've been doing repairs for sort of 18 months two years at, at Churston and when I got over there 
remember, remember, like it was yesterday, Stuart was like, what repairs can you do? Because we, we basically, whoever got the repair just did it and then you got commission on it. And I went, I can do this, this, and la- listed everything. He was like, brilliant. He said, but you're not putting out any repairs until I've seen the end result. And I was like, all right, that's like, you know, I can, I know what I'm doing, I can do it. But he was, he was, um, like, he didn't want the standards to slip. Like, yeah. if my grips weren't as good as his or I did a repair, it wasn't up to his standard. And, um, yeah, it was just, and he was just so, I mean, Stuart's a different, difficult character and he's a bit of chalk and cheese. Really. People either loved him or hated him and I got him really, really well. And we were sort of polar opposites as well. I was very loud and outspoken and, Although he was outspoken, he was quite more passive with stuff. It would just be like he would explode. He was quite fiery, whereas I'm quite on the same level. But we got on really well, and he showed me so many little tricks that um, that Peter Ward had taught him first. And I just, I guess, he enjoyed teaching me different bits of it because I was so enthusiastic about it. I mean, even now, if you get someone who wants to learn about stuff and they ask questions and it's it's nice, isn't it? And it yeah. makes and he just showed me little tricks and I even remember being at the doing the PJ exam and um you had to put a graphite shaft into a head and the fit was terrible. Like it was there was too much movement, the shaft was shaft was too thin for where it was going in. So that if you could probably stick it in there, but the likelihood is it wouldn't set right, it would move. And um there was a wooden bench that's before the PJ started spending money on stuff. And so I got my Stanley knife and I started chopping this like taking little bits of this wooden bench off like just little bits of um of the wood and i was then mixing it with the glue and then stuck it in the thing and the the, the guy comes in and goes excuse me what are you doing like the, the guy that was examining and i was like oh, i've just thickened the glue up using that i would use sand but i've got no sand and stuff like if i wanted to add weight and he's like who's talking that and i was like oh well and i explained the story and he's like very well carry on and they didn't bother me for the whole of the exam <laughs> just left, left me alone they left literally went it. off to look at other people yeah but like just like little things like that, and I've just always, I've always really, really enjoyed it. Tricks um, of the trade. Yeah, I just, I just enjoy sort of that aspect of, of it, and I, I mean, I still do the repairs here at Churston. I do some quite a lot of the talkie members still bring their stuff over, and I, yeah. it's a bit of extra income, and I just, it's, it's nice to go down there and spend half a day once, it's only once a week, and do a few grips and keep my eye in really. And then moving you on to YouTube, then. Yeah. <clears throat> you enjoying it? Yeah, I love it. Have you enjoyed have you enjoyed the journey from going from the Mark Crossfield days? Yeah. Uh watching me truck on around the world and do all the things that we did together um yeah. with, on Mark's channel and then progressing now into your own channel. Have you uh, have you yeah, enjoyed I mean, that element of it? Yeah, it wouldn't have been necessarily an avenue would have gone down when you obviously started doing stuff with Mark and um it was nice to watch and see your your passion for it was was visible quite early on during your during your journey and him asking if I wanted to be on a video and then getting more involved in it and then appearing a little bit more was you know it was exciting it was fun Mark's had a lot of subscribers um, and the whole the whole um, what we learned from him was sort of invaluable really wasn't it um, yeah but yeah no, I enjoyed that and then when. We well, you started your channel, and I was a big part of that. That was the first sort of year, eighteen months of of doing that, and it was it was brilliant. It's probably the best sort of times I've had um, in golf. I'd say like yeah. it was just I just really enjoyed it. The traveling with with people, Jordan came involved as well. Um, it was brilliant. There wasn't there didn't feel any pressure because we were growing at a nice steady rate and. Um, the ad revenue was good. The sponsorship, everything was. It was. It was almost the peak of YouTube. It's trucking, and we were it? going up. We were going up quite rapidly, really. And it was good. You know, it was exciting to see. Oh, we've hit twenty thousand subs. There's twenty five. There's thirty. And it was. It was growing really nicely. But there was. Never, it didn't feel like any pressure because of the fact it was what we were doing. The formula, how YouTube works, and they were pushing us and not. There wasn't so much competition. And it was. It was just really, really good, wasn't it? It was exciting. Yeah. And it's what's interesting is it it's down to it's actually your fault that I ended up in it because can you remember we were at Staden Heights <clears throat> and um, the reason I did a video to start off with which my first video was a bunker yeah. video yeah I remember it which took me forever <laughs> <Ever>, yeah <laughs> uh, left you in the pro shop yeah. I went on down to like the fifteenth or sixteenth hole and started doing this sort of bunker 
video and the idea of it was to purely I didn't want to write a newsletter no, no. I wanted to do my newsletters I wanted to be video newsletters and then finished off this video I don't know I can't even remember how I edited this video I must have done no. it on my phone I would think or iPad or something yeah and um, you said to me you want to put this out on Facebook and I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. Put it out. I'll yeah. put it on the newsletter, and then and and I got a funny feeling. You actually put it on Facebook, I think, and then it kind of snowballed on from there. And that's when Mark Crossfield phoned me and said, "Look, because I'd known Mark, and and he invited. He said, I seen, saw your video on Facebook. Really like what you did. Um, can I interest you in coming to join us for a, a video session, a filming, a filming trip? I'm thinking." Yeah. What the hell is a filming trip? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what, what world are we living in here? I'm not. <laughs> are we off to Hollywood or what? Yeah. And um, and that's where it kind of went from there. Yeah. And progressively, like you said, we we just kept going and going and going. And but how are you enjoying your own channel then? Yeah, really good. Um, you touched on it earlier, saying you've really had the passion for yeah, it. Yeah, it, it, it. it came at a good time, and I probably should have done it maybe six months earlier. I think that would have probably been where where I was ready to do it. Um, I don't know. You get. I think you get to, you get to a position where you would have gotten the same exact same position with Mark, and you feel like, not that you can do it better than what someone else is doing it, but you've got your own ideas. Um, you have your own ideas. You think, oh, that that'd be quite a good video. I want to do that and and stuff. And um, obviously, circumstances with the YouTube, the amount of ad revenue made it. It was just a good time to start. Um, or have a go at it. I didn't think I, I didn't, wasn't sure I could do it. Like it was quite a lot. I mean, I was decent with a camera. I can zoom. I can. I'm I'm pretty good with a camera, so I knew I had sort of that aspect covered. But putting videos together and planning them and um, had all the ideas, but actually getting it onto a camera and then obviously turning it into something which is watchable was the biggest challenge. But um, I thought I'm going to give it a go. If you don't try, you never know. Um, always got the shop and things to fall back on retail-wise. Um, never struggled to get work in that area. So I thought, let's just give it a go. Financial was in a position to give it a go. Um, had quite a bit of help from yourself, um, Jordan, Lee, and other people involved who have been really good and helping me to get going. Um, but yeah, I find it exciting. I, I wake up with in the middle of the night with ideas of, oh, that'd be a good video. And right, I, have a, I have a notepad by my bed because I seem Do to fit, have better ideas. Well done you, I've never had that. Have you not? But I like the flexibility of it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found I'm work, putting more hours into it than I've probably done anything in my life and they don't really, it's hard to take a day off from it. Yeah. You think, oh, I won't bother doing anything today and then you end up going to changing some thumbnails or... You'll have an idea. Oh, actually, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna do this video today. Get that done, and I'm not gonna edit tonight. And then you'll start editing. But no, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I'm also enjoying doing bits back on your channel as well, whether that's a course vlog or a podcast, or even stuff like this. It's just, it's just good to be around and involved in it, but with less pressure. The fact that you don't pay me anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it helps helps your business, and it and I've got my own things going on and if I don't want to go on a trip or I don't want to do something I can politely say no I'll, I'll give that one a miss yeah um and I feel like I've got a good balance at the moment in with YouTube and probably in all areas of life where do you want to take it what do you want to do with YouTube have you got like a, a bit of a goal or a plan you um, talked about goals that you set yourself maybe yeah. you could have set yourself better goals when you were trying to play a bit more or practice a bit more yeah like, have you set any goals for this? What do you want to do? So, I mean, I started, I decided I was going to do the channel in sort of late January and I just did a few shorts, nothing too um, too special, but I was waiting for sort of, um, to make sure I had a few ideas and, and have a little, I did a few practice vlogs as well and had a little little go at that and a bit of filming, a bit of editing before I put anything out. And then I started in March and my aim was by the end of the year was to get to 10,000 subs. Okay, that was my main aim. We're in... When filming this, we're, well, we're, we're the first, <laughs> second week in November, yeah, 2023. Where are you at numbers-wise now? So then? I've just gone through six and a half thousand subs. Okay. So I'm sort of probably just over three behind where I thought I'd be by the end of the year. I, that was 
I thought that was a realistic target. But then once I started get, got going, um, I realised that that was probably pushing it. And if I could if I could get to seven, I'd be absolutely delighted with now. I think I'm going to be under that. Okay. I'm picking up between 100 and 150 subs per month. Right. But I have made changes to my format of my channel and the content, which excites me a little bit, and I feel that I can push it on push it on by doing that rather than completely focusing on course vlogs. Yeah. Which but is what my intention was originally. Yeah, because your, your intention was to get out, play the golf, and, and <clears throat> you know, one of the pressures that, that I suffered with, with the channel was was the course vlogs is the is still the course vlogs and the cost of it is just yeah. uh, it's beyond what people can even imagine I, I would think is that you know you've got to you got I mean you, you could go and do a course vlog on your own or you could go and just do it with two people but that you know the engagement of that is always better when you get possibly four yeah three or four people um but to get people from a to b to yeah. feed everybody to do all those because people can't come and do it for nothing you no, know it's, you it's, it's a day out to go and do that the yeah. filming is quite stressful out on the golf course because you're trying to keep away from other golfers at the same time because you don't want to interrupt their games and you know yeah. you, that we've had situations where we've let a group through then another group then another group, it just continues on yeah. from there so the cost and then once you get it home and you've created it's time isn't it as well it's then 30 hours if you're doing 18 holes of golf it's going to be a 30 hour edit yeah I mean, I I try to. You always try and learn, don't you? As you as you progress in anything, and I once I decided I was doing course vlogs, I decided I was doing nine whole course vlogs. Yeah. I've not done. If it's two, unless it's an individual course vlog, when I've done, I've shown all eighteen holes. But if it's an, I've literally done nine or six whole course vlogs. Um, mainly for that one of the reasons you said it takes so long. You you're adding an hour to your to your nine holes generally. Also, you're you're asking someone to be out there the whole day. And then it's, it takes twice as long to edit, nine over 18, for me personally. So I've always tried to make it nine holes. And I've done a lot of filming locally, so I, my channel is basically based at Churston. Yeah. Because I can get someone to come and play who's a member, doesn't cost me anything. I'll buy him a pint afterwards, it costs a pint. I was hiring buggies, so that I'd pay for a buggy, which was sort of £16. Buy him a drink, so it cost me 20 quid. Whereas if I go, right, I'm going to go somewhere an hour away I've got to drive them there so you've got the petrol you've got to buy them lunch you probably have to buy them dinner on the way home you might have to pay a green fee because I'm not I'm PGA. not a professional golfer yeah. my channel's not big enough for me to phone up golf clubs and go I want to come and film so you're not going to get good tea times you're going to have to pay you might have to pay for the person you're playing with I mean, you could be talking several hundred pounds to do a course vlog where you're going to probably earn I'm going to earn 25, 30 quid from a course vlog mm. so financially that doesn't add up and also course vlogs do not that's not searchable content so you're not attracting any new subs into your channel you're keeping the people that they're happy and that's why i will always remain a course vlog channel but it won't be every five day course vlogs it'll be moving forward i'll probably be every week or every 10 days and there'll be videos in between that will be could be anything really I'm, might be a comparison it might be a review it might just be a, a general talking video about some subject, but there will be other videos in there to hopefully progress and to increase my subscriber amount on YouTube. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've talked about this off camera, but the videos that you make with a course vlog and you get yep. X amount of views or whatever it is, and then you put out a, you know, a video that takes you a, a quarter of the time to yep. make and edit together gets you more views so so for me a course vlogs it's half a day it's half a day filming so which is fine half a day and then get it back shot traces probably another half a day could be longer if you're having trouble with the actual app because it doesn't always play up and then maybe another what you're probably gonna have to take a day by the time you've done your done your little extras to it make sure it's fine watched it three or four times you're talking two days sometimes it can you don't quite get it right and it's two and a half days or something comes up, it might be three days. So let's say three days maximum to do it. Course vlogs for me get between, generally around about 5,000 views. Might get one up to 10, 11 if you're lucky. I can do a video where I sit there and talk about something personal or a subject I want to talk about. I can do the video in 20 minutes, half an hour max. A couple of takes of a few different things you said, you got it wrong. I can edit that in off one camera, two hours. Yeah. 
So I can probably get and produce that in half a morning. I'll get more views on that video than on a course vlog. I guess people, the hardest thing is people think you can, we're going to a course vlog Wednesday night. Oh, you can get that on the channel by Thursday afternoon. They don't yeah. realise the time and like I see what, you know, you how you edit and how Jordan edits and and stuff and the amount of time and effort into every single video, particularly course vlogs, it's, um, it's scary. It is scary. So where do you actually see yourself, let's say, in, in two years' time with regards to the channel side of it? It's a good question, that, isn't it? It's, it's the million-dollar yeah, question. Yeah, it's a tricky it? one to answer. I mean, I'm I'm lucky. I mentioned previously I'm in a decent financial position where I can give this a really good go. And I always, my my sort of um, time was ending next summer to really sort of reassess where I was at and what, whether I ultimately turn YouTube into a, a career or a full-time job rather than what it is now, which it isn't. <laughs> Um, but so you're that, full time on it. You're I'm full time on it. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I obviously doing the repairs a bit and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's. I am full time on it. I'm doing as I'm doing it. Um, I'm as not. Much yeah, as, as much as I can, as much as I can produce. But it's been really educational, and I said, like I said, it's learning on the job. So, ideally, you want to get quicker at getting videos out. Um, and get more content out to help grow. So it's a, it's a thing. But ideally, I'd want to turn it into this time or next summer, end of next summer. I think, yeah, it's okay. It's doing it's doing well. I've always thought that the ad revenue and, and what you get from YouTube it wasn't going to be the way you can make money from YouTube. I feel like it's sponsorship and getting companies involved that, you know, if you can get decent, decent backing and decent sponsorship then the, the youtube money doesn't really matter because you're, you're you're earning a decent wage but i'd want to turn it into a decent living really that, yeah. that i can you know that rather than earning what i'm earning now i need to be making more than to make it else it becomes a hobby and i just do a video every couple of weeks when i've got time yeah absolutely right which i don't want to do really well i think the key bernie is to keep enjoying what you're doing because you are enjoying it and right life's now too short, isn't it? and Not life too. is far too short to not enjoy what you're doing so yeah. um, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for your time for coming on sharing your story I think we went pretty deep there <laughs> did you, do you think that was as deep there's as no you, tears there's no, no I'm wait, I was waiting I was keeping an eye on your eyes <laughs> no <laughs> no it's great to see you um, yeah. and we thank you for inviting me on the um, on the podcast no my absolute pleasure and I'll see you on the golf course very soon you will